Hello, and welcome to Furloughed, defining moments worth talking about. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and with me is Steve Otterstrom. And Steve, we've just celebrated Thanksgiving, and of course, it's it's the year end anyhow, so it's a good time to kind of reflect on things that we're thankful for. And uh, I am thankful to uh, actually be back to work. I, I hate to I'm not trying to rub it in, but I am thankful to be there. (laughs) Well, you really, you really learn to appreciate what a full paycheck is, and you really learn to appreciate the actual value of having something to do a little more scheduled on a regular basis when when you do have a job. And uh, so, needless to say, with that and COVID and all that's been going on, I, I think many of us have had chance to kind of reflect and think about what is really important to us. So any any thoughts over the Thanksgiving holiday that came to you that you were thankful for that you want to share, Steve? Quite a quite a few things actually. And and you know, you bring up work and and I, I think I'll add myself into that as well, although I, I have not um gained full time employment yet. Um I, I am I'm thankful that I've had well, I guess I haven't had full-time employment, but I've had a lot of work <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, as, as an independent work. contractor. And in right. so, to some degree, I'm actually really thankful that it's slowing down towards the end of the year here. Uh, I'm getting a chance to breathe a little bit and um, and actually work on some of the, the projects that uh, you and I have long wanted to work on uh, with Upwards mm-hmm. Unlimited, like the, the book that's coming out sometime next year or within four years <laughs> from now, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> depending on how quickly we get to that. So I'm thankful for those opportunities. Um, I'm really thankful for vaccines. Um, as as I we hear in the news, uh, Pfizer has a vaccine out, Moderna has a vaccine that's coming out, uh, AstraZeneca has a vaccine, all of these, which uh, give me hope, even though none of them have been approved officially yet, give me hope that there's uh, a light at the end of this COVID tunnel. Um, and, and just thankful that we live in a, in a day and age where that's a possibility. You know, a hundred years ago, they were dealing with um, the Spanish flu and and uh, it was another worldwide pandemic. They didn't have all of these advantages yeah. that we have today. So I know it's been hard. I know 2020 hasn't been everyone's favorite year, and most of us are just looking forward to putting in our rearview mirror. But uh, there certainly are a lot of things for us to be grateful for. Yeah, well, and it, you're so true. And or we could even be in another country somewhere where you know we're still battling malaria or some crazy thing like that too. You know, absolutely. And so we, we are very fortunate. It is kind of funny though when if you we reflect back and I, I guess I'm starting to sound like New Year's here, but just it is that time of year for me. We're, we're so ready to put twenty twenty in the past. Yes. And we'll take Thanksgiving as our new new year. But yeah, yeah. Well well remember the start of twenty twenty was all about twenty twenty vision, right? Clarity of purpose, clarity of vision, clarity of this and that and the other. And it's like I, I really in my mind it's like, yeah, how many people accomplished anything they set out to coming into this year? You know, because we really, I think we've maybe alluded to this on a, a podcast or two, where we are not as in control as we sometimes think. And so we learn to pivot just like you, you know, yes, you did lose full-time employment and you're working more hours than I am doing your, <laughs> your contract work now too. And so it, it really, it, it, it just, from thinking about human nature, it's just kind of fascinating to me sometimes to well, and I think some of those things over. 
as you as you're talking, it, it it made me want to just add one more thing into the mix, and and that is I'm I'm really thankful for technology. You know, um, mm-hmm. the opportunity for people to connect without being face to face. One of the things that really has been an eye opener to me. Um, I felt like I worked in a global environment before when when uh, you and I worked at the same organization. Um, however, moving into this contract work, I mean, I, I actually uh, spent uh, the better part of last evening um, with a group in Bangalore uh, doing a new hire orientation for them and thinking, you know, when I got done, it was two in the morning and 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 thought, my goodness. <laughs> how crazy yeah. is this that um, I'm I'm now able to work all over the world because of 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 the technologies and the connections uh, that we have due to those technologies. Uh, yeah, and, and I and I do feel like the more that we use those and the more that we spend time connecting in this way with people mm-hmm. on the other side of the globe, I think that will help us become better as people. And uh, more accepting and more open, you know. So I'm, I'm grateful for those technologies that allow the world to be more connected than it's ever been before. Yeah, no, good call out because I've during this whole COVID, I've had opportunity to get to know, you know, some of my team members. As you mentioned, we were on a bit of a global team prior to all this, and so you know, I've spent more time with them now. Uh, I guess having more time available, <laughs> but like you say, technology allows that to happen. And so, yeah, with whether it be Dubai or whether it be uh, the UK or just even you on the other side of the United States compared to me, you know, and so, yeah, it really is just fascinating. And once upon a time, you know, you, you had to save up money to even make a phone call that distance, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what hoops you had to jump through to make that happen. And here we have this daily opportunity to communicate. In fact, you and I, um, as my wife has pointed out more than once, that we talk probably <laughs> more than our spouses do to each other. <laughs> so yes. it's great, great technology though. And, 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 uh, and I guess we're we're leveraging that technology today as well, aren't we? I'll I'll let you. Uh, we absolutely are. We absolutely are. We we uh, uh, are reaching across the pond um, <laughs> uh, to uh, Carolyn Troy, um, who is someone that I had the opportunity to meet. Uh, oh, a, a couple of years ago, just um, after uh, she was hired into the same company that we were working at at the time, and um, I had the opportunity to. Uh, well, what, what they told me was just kind of to help orient her to what we were doing and what our department did. And, mm-hmm. uh, of course we were working in, um, in training and development. And so, you know, we got on a call and I started talking and, and one of the things that I found so interesting about Carolyn is she has this ability, um, to really, To, to, to look at, at, at training from a, a creative perspective. Uh, she was the kind of person that didn't like to use PowerPoint, which is really rare. Generally, you have to bring people in and then break them from that habit of, of sitting there and reading their slides or being beholden to, to whatever they're seeing on there. And this was something that from the very beginning, PowerPoint was too restrictive for her, um, <laughs> that, that uh, her own creativity and ways of putting things 
uh, together was much, much stronger. And, and, and in fact, um, as she did uh, different openings and things like that and in-person trainings, she would send pictures of some of the, of the things that she had done. And I think all of us on the team were always really blown away by, um, by her creative ways of, of teaching things. So um, uh, without too much further ado, uh, let me go ahead and, and pass it over to you, Carolyn, so that you can, you can share with us um, how you got to where you're at. And, and maybe even let's start out here. <laughs> we know you weren't uh, uh, necessarily celebrating the American holiday of Thanksgiving, but in, in the interest of reaching um, uh, across the globe, uh, what, what are some things you're, you're thankful for? And then maybe we'll go into um, who you are and how you got there. Thank you for the introduction. So something that I am thankful for I think at the moment, I'm just really thankful for my health, both physically and mentally. I think this year has certainly taken its toll on lots of people all over the world. So to be able to connect with people and have the opportunity to make sure that your physical and mental health is in a really good place is something that is really important. So I would say that I'm most thankful for that and also thankful that I have such a great support group around me in terms of my family and my friends you know we all lift each other up we all encourage each other you can always talk to each other so I'm really thankful for that because I think if you surround yourself with positive people then you're never going to have a negative day in your life and that's certainly a mantra that I like to live by so I'd say those are the two things I'm really thankful for at the moment. And, and it may be one other thing to be thankful for is the ability for you to send me chats that correct you <laughs> or correct me. Um, I yes. have always called you Carolyn, and that is just, I guess, I've known too many Carolyns. But it's not Carolyn. It's Caroline. Yes, like the Neil Diamond Caroline. song. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. yes. Oh, please so don't I will, sing it. <laughs> oh, I could. I love Neil Diamond. <laughs> Well, yeah, but you did, know, Steve, it's actually really funny because I think a lot of people just assume that you pronounce it Caroline, but it's it's not, it's Caroline. So thank you for the connection. <laughs> well, thank you for helping me with that as no well. No problem. Um, so, so, so tell us a little bit about um, how you, um, now I know you started out early in your, your education, you really were, um, you've always been in, in the kind of the creative aspect of, of communication, you know, which that's, that's in, in many ways, what learning and development is. It's, it's a creative way to communicate things, but yeah, you started out, um, in your, your education really in film and television. And, um, and then somehow you got to where you're at right now. So maybe, maybe you can walk us a little bit through your story, how, a film and television student ended up um, being a learning well, and development professional. Yeah, let's let's do like Simon Sinek. Let's start with the why, Caroline. <laughs> so why why film and television? <laughs> How did so, you set out to do that at the beginning? Yeah. So why film and television? I love film. I love TV. I have a true passion for watching films and going to the cinema and I think 
when I went to university, I was a lot younger than I am now. So I didn't really have a career path which I had formed for myself. So I'll be honest, I thought I'll go to university and I'll do this course, which sounds really fun. And then at the end of it, who knows, maybe I'll move to London or New York and someone's going to hire me (laughs) and I'm going to work in film and TV for the rest of my life. And obviously that worked out. So, um, so what happened was I got into university, I went to the University of Glasgow in Scotland, and I was there for four years. And I learned some really interesting um, theories and, you know, processes for making films and editing films and really getting into the kind of do's and don'ts of filmmaking and making of TV shows but over time it wasn't really what I wanted to do and you know at university during your third and fourth year you get to speak to a careers advisor and I remember speaking to this careers advisor and she was saying to me so what do you want to do with this degree that you're going to get and I was like I'm just gonna you know get into film and TV I can't actually really remember the conversation that I had with her because it was so long ago but also if I'm being honest I probably wasn't taking it seriously so I was just like yeah I'm just gonna get a a job in film and TV and she's looking at me like oh my goodness (laughs) um so I kind of during that time at university I started getting part-time jobs because I had to obviously fund myself through university so I needed the money to be able to do that and whilst I was at university I started working for a hospitality group um, who own lots of venues and nightclubs and restaurants etc all over Scotland and I started working for them just as a server in the pub and the restaurant And over time, I built a really good relationship with the people in that company. And I always kind of kept in touch with them throughout university, even when I left the some of the roles that I was doing, and then I could come back later on. So it was kind of a sporadic way of working when I was at university. And after I graduated and got my degree, I decided to go back and start working there again because I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) And funnily enough, uh, film and television in the UK is particularly difficult to get into. So I kind of put my degree onto the back seat and I was kind of thinking, oh no, here's four years that have essentially not came to anything really. But, you know, I've got skills and I've got talent that I want to use. So let me try and invest that in something else. And that's what led me to learning and development. So funnily enough, lots of people say I always wanted to be a trainer. I always wanted to work in learning and development. I never even knew that learning and development existed. I didn't know that it was an industry or a career profession that you could get into. So when people say that they fell into something, that is me. If you look that up in the dictionary, it's my face (laughs) because I literally fell into learning and development with no kind of previous experience or idea that this was something that I could do and this is something that I would eventually love doing. So I went back to the company that I had the part-time jobs with, the Scottish company, and they hired me as a trainer. 
and they said we need someone to come on board who is energetic and who is very patient and has the skills to essentially I'm trying to think of the word the skills to nurture people in terms of getting them into a role and making sure that they feel safe in their role and induct them properly into the company and that's what we would like you to do so from that very day I got a taste of what it's like to be a trainer and to see someone come out of their shell and start to make their mark within a business is a really great compliment for you as a trainer because over the years I've seen so many people who don't recognize the skills that they have. And one thing that I really love doing is bringing those skills out of the person and actually allowing them to realize that they have a set of skills that they never knew they had. And when they identify that and they start using them, it really is so rewarding because you see a total shift in their personality. And it's just so great to be able to see that. So I went from essentially being a trainer on the floor in hospitality and from there I've just essentially worked my way across different industries to get to where I am now. So Caroline, it, make sure I'm hearing you right then. So you you were a server for a, a company that did, it sounds like banquets, catering, that kind of a mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And then because of your work there, that's where they ask you to begin training people then. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And, and what's so funny, as you started to unfold it and talk about college and your aspirations, it just in talking to uh, your your um, advisor there, what came to mind is, yeah, you probably went off and waited tables, you know, became a waitress or whatnot. Yeah. Just, it's so funny, just the, the, the stereotypical starving artist, right? You go out and you wait tables while you're waiting for that big break and here. Mm -hmm you weren't necessarily waiting for a big break, but yet it kind of came to you regardless as, from the sounds of things there. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So if I hadn't taken the job as the server in the restaurant, I probably wouldn't be in learning and development now. I would probably still be searching for my career. Yeah. <laughs> so I was very lucky that I had the right connections. I was in the right place at the right time and the opportunity came to me. And it wasn't until that opportunity presented itself to me that I realized this is what I want to do. I want to work with people and allow them to identify skills that they can use moving forward and being able to deliver training courses and essentially just build confidence within people is the part of this job that I just love the most. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's nothing greater than seeing somebody move towards their full potential. And that's certainly, you have that opportunity there. Yeah. Um, and and I, I have always said, just as a side note for a moment here, for our listening audience, I have always said that anyone and everyone needs to wait tables for a year or at least work in retail for a year and talk about a learning experience. You will never treat people the same once you've done that. <laughs> Just mm -hmm. throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong, it, it is difficult. And that's why I have the utmost respect for the hospitality industry, especially yeah. the people who are working every day on the floor and also the retail industry. And that's why I think now within the current climate that we're in, we really need to try and save these industries because, you know, 
where would we be without hospitality? You know, being able to go out and interact with staff and get a lovely meal and enjoy yourself. Where would we be without that? We really need to knuckle down, I think, in saving these industries at the moment because it's it's such a shame with what's happening. Yeah. You know, it, it is interesting. I, I've, I've always felt like, you know, and, and, and maybe it's just because I worked so long in the hospitality industry that that I felt like one of the reasons I love working in hospitality is because you worked with people who liked people, who liked working with other people. And and I think that that's maybe some of those, these attributes are what allowed you to to fall into training. And one of the things that, that you, you brought up that I, I would really like to maybe dig a little deeper in is, is you talked about really helping people achieve their potential and, and maybe see abilities in themselves that they themselves didn't see. Um, and, and I think those of us that have worked in learning and development, we all are, all are kind of nodding our heads as you say that, that that's really, not that that happens every day you go to work, uh, but that's what energizes you into continuing and putting forth the tremendous amount of effort that's required really to be successful in learning and development. So my, my question is, is to you, how would you recommend someone go about learning what they're good at, um, discovering those those things that that people so often miss? You know, help us help us see how how we look through uh, Carolyn's eyes um, okay. uh, to 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 discover these these abilities and talents. Okay, so to give you an example, when I work again this is going back a few years but when I worked for the hospitality company each venue had a a head trainer so although I was the the head trainer for the company each venue had a trainer that I would essentially pass knowledge on to or pass updates on to and then they would kind of filter down and let their team members know let their employees know and I remember there was one particular head trainer in a specific venue who was so shy and the thought of standing up in front of a group of people and even just reading out like that day's menu terrified this girl. And I thought, I want to work with you and I want to help you because I, I don't know what it is. I just know that with the right kind of guidance and with the right kind of encouragement, you will be in a place to feel comfortable with that. So I remember having a conversation with her and the first thing I said to her was, do you want to do this? Do you want to be that person that needs to stand up in front of people and needs to you know, provide regular updates? Because if you don't, then whoever has volunteered you for this has essentially thrown you in at the deep end. And that's sometimes not a nice thing to kind of be a part of. And she said, no, Caroline, I really want to do it, but I'm just not confident enough. And I was like, okay, so what we need to do then is we need to get your confidence up. And I essentially at this point had had no experience with doing something like this. So I just wanted to kind of trust my gut and go with my own instincts. And we just spent, you know, a few hours every week doing some public speaking. First, it would be in front of me on my own, and then I would give her feedback. And then I would invite maybe two or three staff members in, and I would say, 
just sit and listen. You know, you don't need to give her feedback. I just want you to sit and listen because I want her to get comfortable with an audience that is in front of her. Sometimes you will talk in front of two people. Sometimes you will talk in front of 200. But the more you get used to people being in the room, the easier it will become for you. So within a few weeks, I could see her confidence starting to grow. So what we wanted to then work on was her eye contact. And I said, if you don't feel comfortable focusing your attention on, you know, certain different people in the room, then just look straight ahead. Look straight ahead and just concentrate on what it is that you want to discuss. And the best feeling in that job for me was seeing her deliver her first update to a room full of 75 people when six weeks previously she couldn't even talk in front of me and I was there to help her. So it just goes to show she had to believe in herself. I think that's the main thing. If you don't believe you can do something, then how are you going to overcome any obstacles or hurdles? You need to believe in yourself. And I was trying to instill this in her. And eventually she believed me and she absolutely knocked it out of the park. So I think it's all about trust and you just have to believe in yourself. Because if you don't, then nobody else will. Well, I think you really hit on something and really illustrated something that from the learning and development world, and I don't think this is brought up very often, um, but when when you want someone to believe in themselves, the best thing you can do is sincerely and genuinely believe in them. You know, you, you can't be, well, I don't want to say you can't be because then we'll find an exception, but generally speaking, I think it's difficult to be successful in the learning and development world if you're not an optimist, if you're if you're if you don't see how things can turn out, if you you know for the better, and you don't honestly completely believe that, so I think that's one thing I, I took away from your story is that you know um, the ability to believe in people is what allows them to to believe in themselves. Have you ever had an, an opportunity, you know? So so in this case, you kind of discovered this person had this talent, um, and mm-hmm. and you were able to develop it out of them, and they they were able to to, to um, uh, do something they didn't think was possible. Um, have, has someone ever surprised you where they, they as, as you, you started working with them, you discovered there was, there was more to them than, than uh, you may have initially or uh, have thought. I think I always say that your skills are limitless And it's up to you to explore and identify the skills that not only you want to learn, but that you potentially may have within you. So with the the girl that I helped with her public speaking, she then went on to become a manager and then a, a senior manager. And I'm not saying that that's because of you know, just a a few training sessions with me, but I would like to think that I, in some way, shape or form, helped her to get that confidence to apply for those jobs because sometimes you really need to challenge yourself. And I could tell how nervous she was when she was standing, even in front of me on my own. And I think it's this fear of being judged and this fear of failure, but sometimes you have to fail at something to be able to pick yourself back up again. So it was it was a really enlightening experience because it's just great to see these people move from like a little shell into actually flourishing and growing and, and identifying the skills that they had because 
if you don't bring that out of them, then I feel like they're always going to remain stagnant and nobody wants to be like that. That may not have answered your question, though. <laughs> so if it doesn't, then let's redo it. <laughs> well, if, if, it, if it didn't answer my question, it was, a, it was a better answer than my question had asked for. <laughs> okay, that's How's fine. that? Well, well, <laughs> okay, one, thing that, one thing that did come through on that, though, Caroline, is, is the fact you, knowingly or not, gave that person a safe place to fail because you, you mentioned failure just now. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that's critical, not just in the learning world, obviously it is, but as we think of just everyday life, and I'm, I'm kind of digesting this for our audience sake in case they miss that nugget, you know, how can we accomplish anything if we don't fail? It really is when we fail, we learn from our failure. And then the next time we do something different, you know, and I I go back to the analogy uh, of riding a bike. And I I actually share this in training oftentimes uh, because I very much remember teaching my son how to ride bike because I had learned a valuable lesson then Um, as he was learning to ride the bike. I learned something. Isn't that interesting? Um, So, of course, as anyone did, as I pushed his bike, let go of the handlebar and then let go of his seat and let him off onto his own, naturally, he fell. It was expected. It didn't shock anybody, maybe him, but it didn't shock anybody. But my reaction at the time is I wanted to tell him what to do different next time so he wouldn't fall. But what he needed and what he got was his mother's comfort because, thank God, she was out there witnessed the whole thing and saved my hide and ran out there and rescued the child, right? And so he learned from that, that he could fail safely. Whereas if I only brought the discipline or the proper way to execute, then he would probably not be riding his bike today, right? And so we have to have failings in our life, but we have to learn from it. And we have to be in an environment or be surrounded by folks. Uh, you talked about positivity earlier. Uh, we have to be surrounded by folks that will, will cheer us on rather than just discourage us and point out what we did wrong. And it's through that, then we learn, just like you did, you know, maybe maybe you figured out that film school wasn't exactly what you wanted to do. Uh, and, and it's through trial and error that we learn those things. Uh, so I, it, it's just a great lesson there. Well, and I'm thinking as, as, as you're talking that, that you know, this this original one of your first experiences in the learning and development world and how that how that shaped you but one of the things that happens in the learning and development world is is your where you're at rarely stays the same and um, i know that you had become a very accomplished in-person facilitator and trainer um really top-notch someone who could who could really coach and counsel all kinds of individuals and then all of a sudden the platform changed, right? Um, you weren't originally a virtual facilitator, and I know you do both kinds, but maybe you could you could tell us how how did those early lessons translate into the transition you eventually made into doing these things virtually? Yeah, absolutely. So I think everyone has seen a change now with how we communicate, especially with training. So 
due to the pandemic, a lot of meetings and conferences and training sessions have been moved to a virtual platform. And I can honestly say as an L&D person that I think this is the way that it's going to be for a number of different reasons. But I do think that the virtual environment is here to stay. And I do think that this is the way forward. So what you need to think to yourself is all of those skills that I have learned in the face-to-face -face environment, what can I bring forward and use in a virtual environment? And the main thing that I have identified with and that I try to incorporate in all of my sessions is you need to be engaging because when you are sitting on a computer, you have a number of different distractions so what can you do as a facilitator to make sure that they are always listening to you and always watching you and not essentially being distracted by other things going on, such as their emails or instant messenger or something like that? So I definitely think you need to bring your personality. And if you have a personality that people can relate with and that they think is fun and engaging, then this is what you need to utilize. You could be delivering the most boring content in the world, but if you have the enthusiasm and the confidence to bring that material to life, there is no reason why you can't do that in the virtual environment if you've already done it face to face. So. Honestly, I think it's all about personality and you want to get to that stage where people say, you know, Caroline is delivering that course. That's the course that I want to attend because they're not really joining it for the content. Then they're joining it because of how you make them feel. And I think that's such a great compliment that you can have as a facilitator. But it's also really interesting to know that your experience with them has resonated with them and they want to come back and learn from you because of the experience you can give them. You know, as you, as you talk about being engaging, I, I can't help but think that maybe some things um, in your, your early education, you know, with, with film and television and, and really um, learning to enjoy the production value of, of, of a movie that's well put together or, um, television that of course everyone has the ability to change the channel but they don't you know because in some way they find a way to engage uh their viewers and uh so as you were talking about uh that that virtual engagement and bringing people in um i couldn't help but think uh that maybe maybe you did get something out of that early education um so my question here then is if I were maybe someone who's just new to the virtual environment and, and, I'm, and I'm trying to do meetings with my team and, and things, of course, there are some, some things built in sometimes to certain platforms, but how do you tell if someone's engaged? That was my, my challenge when I, the first time I did a virtual class, um, I, I felt like I was, I was talking to a wall and, and there really wasn't that feedback loop that I was accustomed to and, and comfortable with. Um, so how, how does a person in your position know if you're actually engaging uh, the people that you're trying to engage? Yeah, so I think there's two ways in which you can do it. And this is certainly the way that I have been doing it ever since the virtual environment has kind of taken off. 
So the first thing is the majority of platforms that you will use for training delivery in the virtual format have got feedback tools. So it's really good to call on your participants to use these throughout the session. So they can also use the chat box if they need to type anything to you or share any of their feedback. But you do need to make sure that you're monitoring that throughout the full session. So it can get a little bit um, it can get a little bit crazy at times because you're trying to deliver, but you're also trying to check things. But this is all about new challenges and it's about adapting to change. So that isn't necessarily something I would have done face to face because you can see everyone looking at you and you can see everyone writing down, you know, their, their answers in a workbook. But fast forward to the virtual environment, there is no way for you to monitor if they are writing things down or if they are, you know, properly engaged in what you are doing, you just have to try and make sure that you are calling on them as best as you can. So it's great that these platforms have feedback tools because it allows you to essentially check that engagement every two or three minutes within your delivery. I also like to make sure that everyone has their cameras turned on. You need to remember that when you're in the face-to-face -face environment, everyone can see you and you can see them. So I think it just makes it a bit more personable and a bit more comfortable if everyone can see each other. And then you can essentially monitor from there as well if, if people are engaged or if people are distracted. And then the final thing is to call on people. So I love to have conversations and I don't really like training to come across as a lecture. You should be switching up all the time and you should be introducing new things to your participants to allow them to take part. So I call on people once I have my participant list and once I see who's on the call. It's a really easy way to just say, OK, Steve, please come off of mute and tell me why you thought of that answer and talk to people on an individual level, because that's what I would have done in the classroom environment. There's no reason why I can't do that in the virtual environment as well, especially when these platforms are already designed to be user friendly and to give you that chance to do that. It's all about training yourself on the platform and then essentially being able to get the most out of the participants when they join your session. You know, I, I think um, one of the things that sometimes frightens people, you talk about, you know, using all of these feedback tools and and, and probably the one that scares people the most is that camera. <laughs> um, because in a live session, one thing that was different is although we could see them, they didn't have to see themselves. And I feel like for a lot of people, the challenge is um, helping people overcome that fear of having to see themselves on camera. It makes us all self-conscious maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. How have you helped people overcome that, that fear of turning on that camera because for whatever reason that's more difficult for people <laughs> than it was when they went yeah. into a conference room. Yeah, I completely understand that. So what you can do if you're uncomfortable with seeing yourself on camera, you can actually hide your self view in most of these platforms. And to be honest, that's what I do. Not because I don't want to see myself delivering, but it can actually distract me because sometimes your camera will be two seconds behind what you've just done. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I want to make sure that obviously I'm 
giving the session my full attention, the participants my full attention. And although they can get distracted, I don't want to get distracted either. So a best practice for me is to actually hide my camera. It's still on and people can still see me, but I just take it out of the view because on my screen, I don't necessarily need to see myself I just want to be able to see the participants. So even if a participant hides their camera, it's still on and we can still see them. They just won't be able to see that themselves on their computer screen. So I suppose I don't really have any ways of, you know, giving people confidence to go on camera. But I would say that if they feel uncomfortable with that, they could still turn their cameras on, but just hide the self view. And this is always really well received they're happy to look at other people <laughs> <laughs> a little harder to look at yourself i remember i worked yeah. um, um at a call center and we used to record people's calls and and play those back as a training tool to help them get better and, and you know hearing their own calls was really one of the most effective training tools but for some individuals hearing their own voice which i think is similar to having to see yourself on camera was was more painful <laughs> than it was worth um, yeah. And I think it even goes into what you talked about earlier on, you know, that we have to fail. And um, and in, in, in this new virtual environment, let's start failing as soon as we can so that we can start succeeding at it as well. Um, I wonder, though, and I, I, I go back to really what appears to have been your defining moment in moving into learning and development. And, and, and that's that story you told us earlier where you know, there was there was someone who really had the ability and the skills to be a great presenter, but they also had had certain barriers that made it so they couldn't they couldn't reach that potential. And um, how you worked with them and 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 really kind of saw the the light turn on. Have you been able to see that same type of thing happen in the virtual world, or is that something that? you know, really that personal um, growth opportunity or coaching died along with <laughs> the ability to be face-to-face. -face. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to touch on. So with the virtual environment, your connection with the participants is probably not as strong as it would be face-to-face -face, and you don't get the kind of social aspect of a training session because of course when you're with people and you're in a group of 10, 12 people and you're with them for a few days delivering training to them, you do leave the session and go home on the final day feeling like you've accomplished something and feeling like you can't wait to hear from these people over the next few months to reconnect and find out exactly how they have got on with your training and what skills and what tools they have used from your course to essentially better themselves and gain them more confidence in their line of work. That was something that I used to always love with face-to-face -face classes was because you would essentially see these people and then a few months later you could touch base with them again and they would say, Caroline, I did this and I did that and you would feel so proud of them. And now the virtual environment, I suppose, doesn't really give us an opportunity to do that because everything is virtual. I don't really want to send constant emails because you might not get a reply. I am very much a phone call person or a face-to-face -face person. So I actually think this is something we are all still working on. 
how do we get that that feedback from people who we have worked with how do we ascertain what worked well for them and what didn't work well for them? And to be honest, this is something that I am still working on because it's been a total change for me. And although I feel like I have adapted very well to the virtual environment, there's still a couple of things that need to be tweaked and changed in order to make sure that your course and your delivery was as good as it could be. Because getting great feedback is one thing, but knowing that a person has actually used the skills and tools that you've given them is, is another thing. And that is the, the part that I'm still essentially working on at the moment. And I do wonder if, if at some point <laughs> we are hoping that this uh, COVID thing will, 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 will go away, that, that people will be vaccinated and, and we'll be able to move back and do some of those face-to-face. Because -face. I think... What I'm hearing as you talk is that um, I have heard people say, you know, in-person training is over. It's done. It's not coming back. And I, I find that to be very um, short-sighted. Uh, and I have heard people say you can do everything in virtual that you can do in person. And I say, really, like, shake hands. Well, we don't shake hands anymore. But at some point, we might be able to do that again. And I think it is worth pointing out that um, especially for those that, that are in those, those decision-making, you know, positions that we do also need to have a mix, a blend, that learning probably is best when there is uh, more than one way at it. And that includes sometimes doing things virtually and sometimes doing things face-to-face. -face. So my, my question, mm -hmm. I guess, for you is when, when you get that opportunity to step back into a conference room or a classroom, what will be your emotion? Have you missed it? <laughs> yeah, of course. I think anyone who knows me will tell you that I'm a very social person. I love being around people. I love learning from people, especially when I deliver courses now in the line of work and the company that I work for. Hearing everyone's stories is just amazing. And having that social aspect, I think, really brings you together. So, of course, I, I miss it every day, but at the same time, I'm grateful that I still have the opportunity to work in this industry and work in this environment. Like I said earlier, your skills are limitless, so only you can decide if you want to learn something or not, and only you can hold yourself back from things. So if I didn't want to you know, grow my knowledge in the virtual environment, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. You have to push yourself and you have to challenge yourself. And it hasn't been easy. I'm not very tech savvy. You know, I look at an Excel spreadsheet and I think, let's just close down the computer because there's no point even looking at it. I'm really not a, a technical person. I'm more about being in front of people and talking to them face to face and using little technology. That's probably why I don't like PowerPoint so much because <laughs> it, it involves me having to focus my attention on something other than my participants. And I don't like doing that. It should always be about them and their experience in the room with you and what you can all get out of the session together. So I honestly cannot wait for the day when we can all be reunited in the training room and we can deliver courses again, because that is essentially what I live for. Carolyn, I wonder, uh, I, I want to roll back the clock for just a moment before we wrap up. So we've talked about 
learning in the classroom. We've talked about learning virtually. We've talked about your education and whatnot uh, and prior to getting in this career field. But I wonder, since it's in the spirit of Thanksgiving, <laughs> kind of reflecting back for a moment, if there is someone that you have learned from in your past and maybe some nugget of wisdom that has just stood out to you and maybe was really key to helping you become the person you are, because obviously you're a very compassionate person. You're a very uh, motivated person, energetic, as you said. And so I wonder if there's someone that played a part in your life that you've learned from and that has been helpful uh, in your mind in helping you kind of be the person you are today that you would uh, be willing to share a story about. Yeah, absolutely. So I can probably think of two people so again, this is in a, a working capacity. So it's it's two separate managers that I had. And it was from a long time ago at the beginning of my career. But one thing that I always try and relate all of my experiences back to, especially if I get negative feedback about something, way back when I graduated from university and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, I was given the role as a trainer and I always go back to that moment and I think they wouldn't have given you the role, Caroline, if they didn't see something in you. I had no learning and development experience. I didn't even know that learning and development was an industry. I always kind of thought that learning and development would be teaching and education. So like primary school, high school, that type of thing, I was completely oblivious. And it was only when I got the opportunity to do a job like this and have someone actually say to me, you know, I believe in you, you can do it. We wouldn't hire you unless we thought you could do it, that you really kind of take those words of wisdom on board and you think, okay, I want to show this person that I can really do this and that I can really excel in what I'm doing. And I've had two different managers over the course of my career. Um, at the earlier stage of my career, I have to be honest, was when I was in, in contact with these two people in particular. And they always just said to me, you have to believe in yourself and you have to go out there. And even if you have a negative day or bad feedback, look at what these people have said to you and work on it. Your training is not always going to be enjoyed by everyone. And I think that sets the bar for most sessions you know, not everyone is going to relate to your personality. Not everyone comes to training and wants to have fun. Not everyone comes to training and enjoys writing stuff down or playing a game to be able to see a, a piece of information in a different light. Maybe they like technical things. And it was just through skills and experience and opportunities that I got to actually learn this myself. But I would never have got there without two previous managers pushing me and saying get over the negative feedback work on it and you know just just try and push every single day so it's all about believing in yourself I know I said that previously in the in the podcast but you have to believe in yourself because if you don't then no one else will and I think you can really identify that when a person doesn't believe in themselves I think you can actually see that and I always say that you cannot help a person that doesn't want to be helped. So you've got to believe in yourself. 
That's good. You know, a lot of great, great um, nuggets of wisdom, I think, in, in that final story. And in fact, I think it really goes well with what, what I've heard you say really throughout uh, today's podcast. And, and the first of those is, is just, first of all, recognizing your potential that uh, we, I love this. You, you said over and over, your skills are limitless. And, and I think the reason for that is because our skills are just things we haven't developed yet, <laughs> or they can often be things that ha- we haven't developed yet. Um, that in your case, you stepped into training, not realizing it was even a thing and, and you were able to do it. You were able to be successful. And um, I really love as well uh, how you point out that we don't need to be everything for everyone that we need to have expectations that are realistic, that not everyone's going to appreciate what we do, but let's make sure that those who do, we get in front of. <laughs> and uh, and we're not ashamed of our skills uh, just because not everyone appreciates what those, those skills are or how we do them. Um, so- yeah. Very, very. I think there's there's a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot of wisdom, and 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 then some other things that another item that I want to make sure that we we highlight again that you brought up, and that is just really the power and the importance of making any kind of training environment a um, a safe place to be. That nobody learns when they're under the gun. When they're, I mean, we do, we do learn under pressure. And sometimes I know people try and generate pressure in order to teach. And, and it's really kind of a shortcut. It's kind of a cheap way out because while it may appear to produce these results, we do our best when we're able to really give people a, a space where they can explore and they can only explore if they have the ability to fail. And uh, so Yes, thank you very much for, for bringing all of those points in because um, I think anyone who works in, in not just training and development or learning and development, if you are a manager of others or you have a, a child or you have someone you mentor, those these lessons are true across the board. So uh, thank you very much for bringing those in. Is there anything else that you would, you would like to add before we start to kind of wrap this up? Uh, that we, we may have not mentioned or, or given you an opportunity to say, uh, Caroline? I don't, I don't think so specifically. I just, I think I just want to echo what I have said previously, which is you, you, you have to believe in yourself and, you know, each and every day you will get negative feedback in any industry. You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea, unfortunately. But if you let that get to you, then you're never going to overcome that hurdle. I've had plenty of feedback (laughs) in my time as a trainer. (laughs) And I'm laughing because it's, it's always interesting to look back and see what kind of feedback you got. But I've had my fair share of negative feedback in my 11 years in learning and development. But if I always took that feedback to heart I wouldn't be where I am now you know you're not not everyone is going to like you not everyone is going to get you or understand your personality or understand your jokes or even just understand your banter but see as long as you understand it and you know that it's coming from a good place and a good heart then that's all that matters and you know, if you get knocked down, just get back up again. Like when Leonard was talking about 
riding the bike. You don't fall off the bike and then just go, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. You need to push yourself and you need to challenge yourself. And every day we face challenges. You know, learning and development is not easy. It's a great career and it's a wonderful industry. And I love being surrounded by people who share the same passions as I do. But you do get knockbacks sometimes and you do get negative feedback. But just let that shape you as the person and the professional that you are, because nobody can knock you down. The only person that can knock you down is yourself. So let's not let that happen. Well said, Caroline. Well said. And uh, just, uh, thank you for being on the show today. Just the only other thing I would say at all, it's just kind of Steve alluded to it in what he had made mention you know, for our listening audience. We've been talking about learning development, but we are always learning and developing our entire lives. And so there's a lot of this application that we can use uh if you work with people at all, you can use this information. And so I, I hope our audience has heard your words, Caroline, and will take those to heart. So with that, we'll go ahead and draw this podcast to a close. And uh, we just uh, thank you for joining us again today, all six or seven of you that are out there listening to this. And as always, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Upwards Unlimited. Upwards, W-O-R-D-S, Unlimited who specialize in helping your teams, your company, and yourself to improve conversations, connections, collaboration, and community. Bye-bye, everyone. Yeah,